0: Hello, and welcome to One Stop Co-op Shop, your one-stop for board game news and reviews. This week, Steve and Elijah are going to catch up on all the board game news and give you a top five review. Welcome to One Stop Co-op Shop. My name's Steve. And I'm Elijah, and in this week's episode, we're going to cover some news and do a review of Fallout the board game by Fantasy Flight Games.
1: Before covering the news and reviewing Fallout, let's chat about what we've been up to lately. So lately, I've been doing some yard work as in North Carolina, that's where I live. It's been quite nice, and it's about the time of the season. So before talking about some board games, I have a really quick, funny blur, but you guys might appreciate. So we were at the local hardware store looking at leaf blowers, and my son is four years old, and he was curious what they were about. So I picked one off the shelf, I kind of showed him how to hold it, I started making the blowing sound as I'm, you know, pretending to blow the leaves, and he turns to me and says, Dad, is that, does that shoot fire? <laughs> so <laughs> so I don't know if I should be concerned or not, but apparently my, my son thinks leaf blowers are flamethrowers. So, That would be cool. In his defense, that would be a fun way to get rid of leaves.
0: <laughs> would be awesome.
1: So anyway, other than uh, preparing for the yard work stuff, i um, doing a little bit of board gaming. I have played a lot of uh, McKee. So this is a solo game that's currently on Kickstarter now. And I'll talk about it a little bit later in the podcast. But to give brief summary, you are playing as the French Resistance, trying to do, complete two missions in 15 days while the Nazis are occupying your town. It is a worker placement game, and we'll talk a little bit more about that later. The other game I've been messing around with is Legacy of Dragon Holt. This is an older game, but it is a narrative adventure game. It's kind of
0: unique. I don't know if there's anything else out there like this? I don't know if you've heard anything, Elijah. No, actually, there's not many narrative uh, games that I know of that you kind of play through with a book and um, sitting at a table. There's role-playing that would probably come the closest, and I think there is another storytelling-based book game by Fantasy Flight, but I don't think it's quite in the same vein of Legacy of Dragonhold. So this one's a little unique. In Legacy of Dragonhold, you are playing almost like
1: a a light RPG without a GM no without a moderator basically and you're reading through a book and making choices in the book and based upon the book it tells you to different passages so you just read this whole long story and you have some uh, abilities to keep track of and stats it's very very light but it's just kind of a fun adventure game so I'm playing that with Colin uh, from One Stop Co-op Shop and one of our Slack members Terrence as well so we decided to go through a campaign together.
0: Cool that sounds fun
1: so, Elijah, do you have any uh, leaf blower, flamethrower? Stores, uh, or? <laughs>
0: you know, I really don't. Uh, I guess probably the biggest distraction for me is uh, I decided I didn't have enough maintenance in my life and went out and bought a 29-gallon freshwater aquarium that I set up in the living room. So uh, I guess I'm prepared for water changes and keeping track of water parameters. Um, but it looks really nice and a lot of fun. So uh, in my younger years, I worked in a pet store and um, had saltwater water experience in tanks and um, have had various terrariums and things set up uh, throughout my years. So it's been a fun distraction, but uh, has consumed a lot of my time of researching fish and plants and things. And so not so much board gaming. Uh, also this week got Warp Warpgate, um, unboxed that and punched it and started reading through the rules. Uh, looks to be a very fun game. Very um, interesting, kind of a v- I guess in my take on it is Twilight Imperium distilled down to the basics. Probably less political intrigue going on and things, but um, it's definitely a streamlined gameplay. Going to be playing through that sometime soon. And just to be clear with our listeners, that is a competitive game, just FYI. Yes, not a lot on the not a lot on the uh, podcast here, but <laughs> but does it have a solo uh, option? Uh, it does. There's an AI player board, and um, you can kind of play solo with the AI. So that'll be another interesting thing for me to experience and see how well the that was done. You know, not every game I own is co op. Most of them are. Still looking for a very good sort of co op space conquest game. Yeah, so maybe
1: we can cover that one in the future once you get that played.
0: Definitely. Enough chit chat. Let's jump
1: into the news. The first game we are covering in the news is a game called Kingdom Rush Rift in Time. Kingdom Rush is a fully cooperative two to four player tower defense game in which each player will be manning a character anywhere from a mage to a flame elemental to an archer and various others. And you'll be using these characters to move around a board trying to stop hordes of minions from marching along a path to attack your kingdom. Along this path, you'll be working together to build towers to try to take out these horde puzzles. And so each of these hordes are represented by essentially kind of a a grid-based system. And you need to fire your towers and using your character's special ability to cover up these Tetris puzzles as efficiently as possible. It's possible to play this game solo as well if you want to man more than one character. This game is currently on Kickstarter. It's already funded and the campaign will end May 2nd. The next game I'll talk about is also on Kickstarter. It's Planet of the Apes, the Miniatures Board Game. This is a fully cooperative miniature game that supports one to four players. I know we don't normally talk about miniature games, but honestly, I don't think there's many miniature games that really support cooperative play. The only other one I can think of is Fallout off the top of my head. I think there's another one called Core Space as well. So this one is based off the Planet of the Apes intellectual property and it spans both the original trilogy and the new trilogy. So This is a miniature board game so what that means is we you will be creating your forces and you're playing as the apes trying to fight off the humans. The humans can control completely by AI system. The game also comes with very large miniature trees and this is what you'll be using your gorillas to climb up into and gain intel over the forest. An interesting thing about this game is characters on the ground are in dense jungles so the ability to see other miniatures within close proximity is pretty poor. So there's kind of a stealth mechanic in here where you can essentially cause the humans to run off to another zone or fire in another zone as you previously were by causing some noise and distractions. This game is currently on Kickstarter. It is funded and the campaign will end May 9th. And the last game we'll talk about is also on Kickstarter. This one's called Maquis. This is a solo worker placement strategy game. In this game, you're playing as resistance fighters in France, trying to stop Nazi occupation. You have 15 days to try to complete two missions. To complete these missions, you'll be sending your resistance fighters to various sites to gather resources, but the kicker is they need a safe path back to the safe house. If the milice or soldiers block your path back to the safe house, then that worker is arrested and gone from the game. So the game is all about trying to plan your placement to gather the necessary resources and deliver them while still maintaining a safety net back to any potential safe houses. This game is currently funded on Kickstarter and the project will end May 5th. That's going to wrap up our new segment. Let's talk about Fallout. So in our discussion topic today we're going to review Fallout the board game. This is a one to four player adventure game. It takes around 120 minutes but that can vary based upon the scenario. And the theme is based on the Fallout video game intellectual property. Now, personally, I have not played any Fallout games, whatsoever. But you might have heard in the past, Elijah, you've played a little bit, haven't you?
0: I actually have limited experience with Fallout. I know they've, Bethesda's released a lot of video games. Uh, I did play a little bit of Fallout 4. Uh, I'm not a huge fan of single-player games, ironically. I just don't quite get into playing against AI. In my old days, uh, you know, I really enjoyed that. But um, now I like playing with other players. So whether it's competitive or just kind of having those players roam around in the world. So uh, Fallout 76 was a game I purchased and have played a lot of. And, of course, if you go online, the reviews have been up and down. But um, this is a fun game. So, I mean, I really enjoy kind of the theme. I really enjoy the IP. It's sort of this post-nuclear... I don't know, set in the 50s and just really, really cool. And I'm kind of a fan of like, you know, The Walking Dead and sort of that whole apocalyptic kind of I am legend and things like that. So uh, I kind of get that vibe from Fallout. So it's it's really fun. But again, I've not played since the dawn of time and I probably would never go back and play the old games. So I have limited experience. And I would just kind of say that I don't think you need to play the games. I would say like any game based on an IP, if you've played it, you'll probably appreciate it more. But I don't think this is a game that you would have to really have played through all the uh, games, video games to enjoy it.
1: I agree, and we'll probably get into that a little bit more. But it might be nice for our viewers to know that you've got experience with the video game Fallout, and I don't. So they can see a little bit of both sides of the coin. Agreed. So in the game Fallout it comes with a lot of, well, big offensive of the game, a lot of stuff, really. <laughs> so it comes with some interesting hex map tiles. So you'd be using this to build the scenario board. And it has various points of interest on there, uh, difficult terrain, and radiation areas because it's a post-apocalyptic setting, so of course you have to have radiation. So you'll be using these map hexes to create the scenarios. And in the base game, you have five scenarios. There's also an expansion that's out now called New California, and that will take the game and turn it from a semi-cooperative play into a fully cooperative play with one caveat. It comes with a new scenario, which is a fully cooperative scenario. And it turns four of the other original game, base game scenarios, into co-optive scenarios. So it leaves one of the base game scenarios to be semi-co-op.
0: And I really like how they did that, Steve. With the scenarios, you have the four in the box originally. And you you sort of get the same scenarios, but tweaked for co-op. And so it actually changes the map a little bit. I think probably some of the card play is a little bit different as well. But what's also really cool is you still have one scenario that is fully semi-co-op and one that is only co-op.
1: This reminds me of a lot of the expansion for Runebound, which we covered earlier in an episode, called Unbreakable Bonds, where that was a competitive game and you were like racing to defeat a boss. And this expansion came out and took all those previous scenarios into them all co-op. So very similar to that regard. So in this game, you'll be running around, purchasing assets and gathering loot. And you'll be experiencing what's called the encounter deck. So this encounter deck is a l- rather large deck of cards with interlocking flavor text and choices. So as you complete or don't complete uh, text on the cards, it'll tell you to go find fetch certain cards in deck and pull those out. And it had, creates this branching narrative, which is pretty cool. I'm sure we'll talk about it more later.
0: Yeah, and the way that works is all the cards are numbered um, from 001 to like, I think, 280-something. And so kind of as you pull these encounter cards out, there's three different types. There's Wasteland, Settlement, and Vault. And they kind of have different, you know, a Wasteland is what, you know, if you're out in the desert area, the Wasteland Settlement's more you're in a kind of a settlement area and a Vault is specific to the Vault. And so these cards will have flavor text on them like, you know, so-and-so pull card 92 and things like that. So... We'll definitely get into it a little bit more.
1: This game is also an adventure game, so so you probably won't be surprised when you hear it say that it has dice in it. But these are custom dice called VATS dice. If you're familiar with the video game, it's referencing the targeting system in that game. So you'll be uh, rolling these dice to do skill checks and leveling up, using a character board to keep track of everything, you can get companions. You also get different traits, so you can become idolized or vilified. You can become a synth, which is a kind of a cyborg in disguise and humans.
0: And of course, the game would not be complete without the special tokens, which you may have seen in some of the uh, mobile game uh, that's out uh, by Bethesda or in the actual video game. So there's special, and it stands for Strength, Perception, Endurance, Charisma, Intelligence, Agility, and Luck. And these are sort of different traits um, that your character can acquire throughout playing the game. And... In Fallout the board game, they're represented by tokens that, as you level up and defeat enemies, you will acquire these new special tokens to fill out your player board. They grant you re-rolls of the dice and certain checks might have a certain skill level that you need in this special tokens as you're playing through the game and questing and completing the scenario. In the game, caps are used as the currency, which um, if you've played the video games, you'll be very familiar with. And of course, last is the enemy tokens. So each uh, enemy on the map is represented by a token. There are several different types, such as bugs or insects, humanoids, there's robots. And that each token has um, kind of some information on it that tracks the level of the enemy, the areas that you um, need to hit them to succeed the type of enemy, of course, and some of them drop loot or they have traits such as aggressive or they might have ranged attacks that they can do on you. So how do you win in this game? Well, it really depends. So in the semi-co-op version, which was released originally, you play to agenda points. And so the way this happens is you are going about your adventures with the encounter deck and and sort of working on the story and adventuring. You're going to inquire cards from this agenda deck and the agenda cards have points on them and you play to a certain number of points in the semi co-op game. In the co-op game, it's really unique how Fantasy Flight did this, where when you play co-op, you represent a certain faction. So there's two factions in the game that sort of are represented as um, kind of warring. In the semi co-op, it feels like you're kind of just in the world, and they're there. In the co-op version, you actually are represented by one specific faction, and then the other faction advances automatically through the gameplay and through the cards and the agenda cards. The objective to win is to advance the player faction to the end of the scenario. And how do you lose? Well, again, this depends on the sort of type of the game you're playing. So in the semi-co-op game, you lose when other players hit the agenda point limit so this can this is where you actually get into the semi-co-op because you can actually have um first of all it's not real competitive there's really no way to sort of directly engage somebody you can kind of like train monsters to them or lead monsters to them and things but you you can't actually engage in player to player so this leads to interesting scenarios where actually at the end of the game, multiple people could be winners. And that again, that would come through hitting the agenda points. So consequently, in the semi-co-op game, if you did not have the agenda points, you would lose. In the co-op version, because you're representing the uh, player faction, you lose if the enemy faction advances to the scenario end track.
1: So to play the game, you will be doing two actions on each of your turns. After all players have taken their two actions, then the enemies will activate and move. So the things you can do on your turn you can explore which is revealing an adjacent tile so at the start of the game all these hex tiles i talked about earlier will be face down and you'll be exploring the board and flip them up and they'll be random also when you explore a tile you'll be spotting enemies face up onto these locations and of course you can move around the map each of these tiles does have it's not really a hex based system at all it's just that the tiles are hex and on the tiles you have very unique borders and shapes to dictate your spaces. Each tile is actually pretty unique in that regard but you can just uh, spend an action to move two spaces. If you happen to be at a point of interest you can quest and that could be from a scenario encounter card or it could be from a wasteland location or a vault or it could be a number of different things it really depends on what cards you explore and what the scenario is. And the other thing you do is you can find an enemy And so what you'll be doing is you'll be rolling the the dice and the enemies have a weakness to them. And how that works is you'll see an outline of a basic body shape and it'll highlight different areas like arms and head or chest and legs or maybe legs and arms. depends on what the enemy is. And you have to roll your VATS dice, your custom dice, and try to achieve those results. If you roll enough of those results to exceed the enemy's hit point values, you defeat them. The enemy hits you back based upon its level and the number of hits you have on the dice. So the dice not only have an outline of a body, but it also has asterisks to represent hits back on your character. And last but not least, you can camp. So that's how you can recover hit points. You can uh, ready up any items and companions you may have and uh, pot- potentially become well rested, which helps you reroll dice in the future. So that's enough of describing the game. Let's talk about our review structure. If you're new to the podcast, we like to do a top five points. So what that is is we each choose five things we think you should know about the game. And we start with our least important, our number five, and work away to our most important number one. And as we describe each of these points, we'll also mention if we find them to be a pro or con as we go along. So I'll start with my number five. My number five is a pro. I find that to be the VAT dice system. I found this kind of refreshing because they could have easily just used regular dice with a four, five, six, whatever four plus to hit this guy, five plus to hit this guy, or whatever. But they wound up taking that VAT system, which is kind of a cool concept in video game, to target specific areas on an enemy to take them out and incorporate that into the dice. It's simple. It's really not necessary mechanically but it adds a very nice thematic
0: integration to the game. What I really like about it is the dice themselves are multi-purpose. So you, first of all, you only get three, not something that you're going to be increasing your pool. Um, let's look at Eldritch Horror, right? You can add more dice if you have a, a gun or a weapon. So you always there's only three in the box and that's it. And you always roll three. So I've never encountered anywhere where you don't roll three. What's interesting is the targeting on the dice, right, so headshot, which is interesting because you have some monsters in the game, or enemies, that um, they you can only hit them with a headshot, which is kind of thematic, and if you played the game, some of these are very difficult. But they're multi-purpose in the sense that when you roll this headshot, right, there's pips, these little asterisks that are also represented on the dice, and that indicates the enemy has hit you, and so you kind of you're wanting to hit the, the enemy where they can be targeted and hit. And then you have the pips, right? That you couldn't have a, you can block with armor. Um, but the dice are also used for skill checks. So it was a kind of an interesting example of the VATS dice is, um, I think, uh, Steve, you were trying to help some somebody out selling at an iguana stand, some <laughs> iguana bits or something. And it was like, how convincing are you? And there was no test. Like you didn't need three. It was just, how many did you get? And so you roll these dice and you're just trying to get the pips in this case. And each pip you got, you earned a cap. And so it was kind of like, how good were you at selling Iguana bits? And it was kind of, kind of an interesting take on their dice. So I really like your, um, I like this one, Steve. I do like the VATS dice.
1: I also find the VATS dice to have an interesting, almost a, a push your luck or an a, a interesting decision on balance of it. Because there's certain sides of that dice that have a lot of hit locations filled in. So if you roll the side, you're probably going to be successful taking out the enemy. But on the flip side, that side also has two pips on it, which means not only are you very likely to hit the enemy, they're also going to hit you harder back. So it's an interesting choice like, oh man, I could keep this dice, which is really good because it's it's very successful for me, but I'm going to take a lot of damage. Or I can maybe try to re-roll that, try to still get the hits and take less damage in, from the enemy. It's kind of interesting how they had that worked out. It's kind of it's very simple, like I said. They could easily have done just a simple dice chucking RPG system, but
0: for what it is, I liked it. That's really good. I I actually would agree with you on that one, Steve. Uh, I think it is a con. It's not on my list. Uh, I'm also going to tell our listeners, Steve and I usually sync up on a lot of this stuff. We don't share our our notes, but. Um, if you've listened to any of the other podcasts, we kind of tend to have a lot of uh, similarities. I think this is going to be an exception. So fallout, I don't know that <laughs> it'll be interesting to see. So my number five is the leveling. It's a con actually. So my number five con is that leveling up is okay, but I feel it could be better. So in this game, you level up by defeating enemies. You know, when you when you defeat a monster, it's going to let you know uh, how much you level up, how much experience you gain. And this causes you to jump a little peg on your player board up to your special token that you have. So you kind of jump to E or I or whatever you have, and you will circle all the way back around. And if you do, you leveled up. And so you'll grab two special tokens, flip them both over and pick one. If you already have both of them, you get a perk card, and perk cards are like really cool stuff, like one-time use, really powerful, really fun. I just feel like the leveling up in this game, I mean, it works well, and it kind of is cool, like earning these tokens allows you to re-roll, but like that's it. I don't know, I just would have loved to seen some sort of skill getting better, and, and I don't know, a skill tree, you know, kind of like um, Star Wars role-playing by Fantasy Flight, or any other really role-playing, and... Um, you, you also have this in the video games where you have perk cards and they allow you to kind of build out your character and customize them. So for me, leveling up is in the game, but I wouldn't consider it a selling point, And I feel it could have been done a little bit better. So I'm going to jump into my number four, which
1: is that- also a con, <laughs> which is also leveling system.
0: <laughs> oh, okay. Funny. Well, that yeah. said, I'm going to add <laughs> to what you said. <laughs> sure.
1: Yeah. I agree completely. I felt... Like the VAT system, the dice. They could have done something simple with just basic dice and roll along them. But they made a thematic choice, which added to the game a little bit. It's kind of cool. But on the flip side, his leveling system, I felt like while the VAT system is, you know, has a little bit inspired, this one was fairly uninspired. Where I felt the same way. Yes, it's cool. You're trying to spell it special. That makes sense from a thematic standpoint, for what I know about the video game. But... You're just grabbing these letters and spelling this out. It's cool that as you have more letters, it takes longer for you to reach the end of the track to wrap back around to level up. But really, for most of the game, those letters just let you reroll dice, and that's useful. But it's just kind of like, eh, I I agree completely. I would want to say, okay, I got I look got a P. That's for my perception. Now I want to be much better at percepting something. You know, whatever happens in, in the game. And granted, that does happen to an extent because you'll have skill checks or items that reference, like you have binoculars and they'll say if you have a P, um, you can re-roll the dice. Or if you're doing this test, uh, talk, you want to spot something on the distance, you have a P, so it lets you re-roll a couple times, whatever it is. But it's always just re-rolls. I agree completely. I mean... I want something cooler. I want some new abilities, and you just don't get that from that leveling system.
0: Yeah, and but to me, this is a con. I mean, it is great, but I, I personally, I love the Vats dice. I really like how they've used them in the game, and it's really creative. You know, usually you're looking at like Eldritch Horror, right? Roll a five and a six, and how many did you get, or whatever. Um, but so the Vats dice are cool, but the leveling up. It's fun. I like it. I like picking the tokens. It feels kind of cool, um, but it just feels a little underwhelming for me. So I feel like that could have been a better thing.
1: If you wind up leveling up or getting the chance of getting a perk, they're one-time use cards and they're pretty powerful for the most part. And they're fun to use, but there's only a handful. And there's only like three of them or something. And I kind of wish they had just more choices, more things to do. And I wish you could have maybe something not quite as powerful that was a little more persistent so you felt more, I don't know, more unique. Let's
0: move on to your number four, Elijah. So on to my number four. It is a pro. And for me, it was the pacing. So I really enjoy the pace of this game. The pace at which you sort of unfold the world, right? Explore the tiles. The pace at which you level up the pace at which you acquire the special tokens and the perk cards, the pace at which enemy are revealed on the board. It's just overall the pace of the encounter cards, uh, exploring the settlement and kind of reading the flavor text and having a wasteland encounter. It's, it feels really well. It just is really well done. So the game does not slog on for me, um, but it also doesn't, it, it's not wrapping up really quick. And so I think for what it is, sort of adventuring in the wasteland, post-apocalyptic sort of leveling up and reading through these story cards it's just really well it's really well how they were able to kind of do that so if you look at some of it like the streamlining of ai the monsters move really simple they just move one towards the nearest player i love it i just love that there's no like complex calculation um the enemies they have their hit point value right on them and it also serves as their how much level right how much experience you get so just the whole pacing of the game works really, really well for me, and I just love it. So it's my number four, and it's a uh, pro. It's the pacing.
1: That's a good one. I will agree with this too, actually. The game doesn't really feel like it overstays its welcome. It could take a long time to play these games. I mean, two hours for me is a long time, especially with kids. But as I'm playing this game, I never really keep track of time at all. I always get so immersed into the game, I forget about it. And you are pretty engaged, at least I find myself engaged in other players' turns, because you're reading this flavor text, and they're advancing storylines, exploring the world, and this does impact you as well, because while they're out over, maybe on the other side of the board, what they're doing may cause things to happen where you are. So you do want to be involved and pay attention to what they're doing. And so you're obviously involved in your turn, you're involved in other players' turns, and then when the enemy turn comes up, it's really fast. Flip up a card, figure out what enemies activate and move one spot, and you just move on. It's very, very fast. So I agree. That's a good one. It was not on my list.
0: I'll jump into my number three. It is a kind of similar to this. Um, it's a pro, and what I'm calling the variety of player choices. So this could probably be termed as something else, but I feel on your turn, there's a lot of decisions to be made, and none of them are very you know, outstandingly clear, like for instance, oh, obviously we do this or that. Um, So on your turn, it's like, well, right in the beginning, should I explore the world, right? And kind of, or should I just work on this adventure? Or do I want to go over and have, you know, the settlement encounter or venture out into the wasteland? And then there's always that threat. So like, as you unfold the board, you're revealing monster tokens. And so do I hunt down monsters? Why? Well, this one drops loot, and maybe I need to level up, But I also want to work on this quest, you know, card or have an encounter. So I just feel like there's a lot going on um, with even the the encounter cards as they come out. You know, you have a decisions to be made there and which one should we focus on and and that could even change mid game. And so I feel like there's a lot of choices for the players to help immerse them in that adventure. That's a good one. It's not on my list, but I should probably have added it now that I think
1: about it. So (laughs) I will add to that that the encounter cards or quest cards, oftentimes in our games, we have quite a few of them available to us. I want to say like even upwards of like five of them at times. So there's a lot of choice to do just on that front, not even looking at the boards with enemies and other things to go exploring and do. So I always feel like there's a lot of, I don't know, a lot of adventuring to go on, honestly a good
0: one yeah i just really enjoy it i mean like you said i mean we had you have these encounter cards out and there's so many well this one oh yeah this was this and this one we go here and i'm going to work on this i'm going down there and then along the way you have enemies like well should i stop and kill them and then if you do another one might spawn and maybe i flip this map tile over and explore a little bit of the world and you know that's going to cause a monster to spawn so i just i don't know i feel like there's some decisions to be made there kind of with what you're doing so i'll jump into my number three and it's a pro
1: similar to yours in that it's talking about variety but mine's talking about the variety of the characters actually there are quite a few characters you can choose in this game and i feel like all of them are pretty unique at least the ones i've played there's some pretty fun ones where there's one guy who is essentially a, a zombie type character and he's got some cool abilities where he starts with significantly less health than everyone else but because he's already a radioactive zombie he doesn't care about radiation zones. He could walk through them. In fact, they actually heal him, which is kind of fun to do. And that's he's the only character that can do that, as far as I know. And I played another one was like a medical bot or tech bot that can run around and repair stuff. So he had interesting abilities where he wasn't really great with combat, per se, but he also wasn't affected by by uh, certain things in the game, especially radiation being one of them. Or he could be like this guy running around with a giant mech suit, and he could power up his armor and do that stuff. He can run around as a... Somewhere with a map and can explore the locations quicker and move faster.
0: It works out pretty well. I'm going to agree and disagree with you here, Steve. So I feel in the... There's five characters that come in the base game and five more that were introduced in the co-op scenario. And they they certainly have some variety to them. Like you had mentioned the, the robot, which actually he's the only one. Um, so the bot, he heals only by acquiring junk, which I think is super thematic and cool. So, like, as you're going through, he's, he's acquiring junk, I think, to heal himself. And you have the the ghoul who's roaming around, right? He heals through radiation, which is, is awesome. On the other hand, I will say that I feel, and this is kind of echoed, I think, on, on some of the players, who've play, uh, people who've played the game, is um, some of the characters feel a little underwhelming. So there's one that starts with the tiger iron, and, and it's kind of like, you know, that's... a he starts with a weapon which is kind of cool but you know there's some pretty sweet weapons like rocket launchers and things that you can get and in the end it's like was that really a benefit to him when you have other players that can move around very fast right so that stays with you the whole game and so I think some of the characters can feel a little underwhelming but I also feel like that can be a benefit where it can challenge you as a player how can I experience this game in a different way you know and so um, or more thematically and things so um, I, I do feel they're all very unique and they're all very fun to play so that's kind of my comment on that yeah and I do feel like these
1: characters will affect your play style like if I play the same scenario with a different character I would play pretty differently to to that character's abilities so they, they did a good job designing that to affect uh, or add more player decisions in the game
0: i'm gonna go ahead and jump into my number two steve it is a con so ranking pretty high at number two it is the non-co-op version of this game is weak and it doesn't feel right and co-op is a must so <laughs> if you can believe that on the one-stop co-op shop podcast you little um and I think, you know, you might agree with me on this one, but for me, this isn't number two. It ranks really, I just, honestly, I don't know why Fantasy Flight released this game as a semi-co-op. I, I don't know if it was MVP, Minimum Vile Product. I don't know if it was Rushed Out the Door. I don't know if they're trying to echo how the gameplay feels or somebody at Bethesda, but honestly, it should have never been released as semi-co-op. And I think on a, that's a lot of what, um, has probably detracted from the game and caused it to not get a lot of attention or focus. The co-op expansion is a must, in my opinion. So not only are you getting five more characters, you're getting a bunch of more map tiles, you're increasing the decks, which is great. That's what expansions do. But in my mind, the co-op is version of the game is really the only way to actually play. I mean, it's just way more fun um, to be kind of battling that enemy faction. And then you have your player faction and you know, sitting at the table with the other players and all working towards something, it just feels right.
1: So this is not on my list, but I agree one hundred percent. We played the semi cooperative game earlier when you got it and it plays fine. But it always felt to me that something wasn't quite right. It wasn't quite jiving. I could put my finger on it. Like it was nothing mechanically that bothered me. Thematic it was it was there, it was okay. But we're just kind of racing to points and it just kinda of, I don't know, felt underwhelming a bit maybe. But when you got this co-op expansion, that's, I agree completely. It felt like, okay, this is the game. Now I feel like we're on an adventure together. I feel like I'm more part of the world. It makes more sense that we can work together to to do stuff. Because otherwise you were playing really multiplayer solitaire almost in the semi cooperative operative uh, mm-hmm. variant or the base game. It, and I agree completely. It just didn't make sense for the game. And I, I feel bad because I felt like because it just didn't feel right i have I'm, I'm wondering if other people felt the same way and this just flew underneath the radar got pushed underneath the rug from a lot of people so while i will say that the co-op game may not change that for you per se but it definitely in my opinion valid uh, validates coming back to, it to try it again with the co-op mode to see if that changes your opinion of it because it, it definitely did for me
0: yeah i mean there's going to be our listeners out there who have no interest in fallout you don't care about post-apocalyptic right nuclear sort of if you have any inkling that that stuff is kind of cool, like I Am Legend, or I guess that I just watched that the other nights again, so it's coming to my mind, but um, Walking Dead in any way, and you like adventure games like Root & sort of like player choice, I feel like you owe it to yourself to play this game. Maybe not buy it if you're not super into it, but um, if you love Fallout, you, you should, I feel, own this game if you like adventuring as well. But Again, I just, I really wouldn't recommend it to anybody without the expansion, honestly. It's just, it feels like it fixes it. So um, that's my number two. It's just the non-co-op is just uh, very weak and the expansion is a must. Great point, completely agree. My number two is
1: also a con, and this is really the difficulty of the game.
0: Interesting, interesting, sorry. Yeah, sorry, (laughs) yeah. While I'm playing the
1: game, I'm having a lot of fun to be honest. It's a fun adventure, there's a lot to do, I feel connected to the world, but based upon how the co-op mode plays, and honestly, even the semi cooperative it I don't feel the pressure necessarily all the time. So with the semi cooperative you're just racing to points and these points are hidden. You can see how many cards someone has, you get an idea of how many points they may have, but at some points kind of a reveal like, okay, cool, wait, whatever. Another point saying like, the semi cooperative just didn't work for us. But the co-op is a lot better because now you have these two factions and you have this track, you can actually see where they are, you get an idea of how well or how bad you're doing, and you can uh, mitigate these tracks by doing different quests and adventures. So as you go and help your particular faction, you'll move your tracker down. As you go and complete or do or get involved in the other faction, you can move theirs up or back down the track to kind of stop them as you're... you're Completing them, but you're completing them for your team. So it's kind of a a, a different style of doing that. And that works pretty well. But how those tracks move, especially on the enemy side, one way it moves is through going through the agenda deck. And this deck is actually pretty big. And Elijah and I have talked about this. And it doesn't feel like it moves enough or fast enough in the game. And sometimes it does move fast in certain uh, scenarios. Like the fully cooperative scenario, I felt like that was actually pretty good. But I feel like the difficulty isn't quite there all the time. It needs to be uh, tweaked or you need to have some knobs at least for players to, to turn to set that right for themselves.
0: So I guess I'm going to agree with you, Steve, that I feel the difficulty isn't quite as controllable as maybe some other games where they can say to increase the difficulty, put cards less cards in this deck. So you're able to scale the difficulty in other games through things like uh, putting more or less cards in a deck, like Captain is Dead and things. Um, In this game, the difficulty, I don't know that it scales or shifts really well. And so I I guess I'd probably agree with you on that. It's not on my list. There's opportunity for house ruling here to kind of tailor the game um, experience a little bit more with it in regards to the difficulty.
1: Yeah, I agree. I think there's some... Some tweaks that players can do, like we suggested, you can pull out cards from the agenda deck to make it move faster. That's very easy to do, and it's just a minor adjustment to the game. I mean, granted, while I'm playing this game, I'm having a lot of fun in the adventure mode, so I don't really mind it so much. But I can imagine some players really wanting to feel that pressure to get things done, or, or, or racing more, or try to do something more. And is it there in some scenarios and, and, and not there in others?
0: Yeah, and I, and I think you hit it on the head there that it really kind of depends on, you know, if you look at Runebound, it's kind of a race game. And this is more what I would say is adventure. But um, I still would agree with you that there's potential house ruler tweaking to scale the difficulty appropriately.
1: Let's move on to our number one. There's been something, and I'm betting we have the same thing on the list, that neither of us have mentioned that I think <laughs> is a major part of the game.
0: Oh, here it comes. So mine is number one pro,
1: <laughs> and that is the deck of cards, the quest encounter deck. I may or may not
0: have that as my number one. Ah, oh, uh,
1: you're gonna leave me hanging. Okay. <laughs> okay. The giant deck of cards, where you have you start with different numbers and you have a lot of flavor text with a lot of choices to go on there, adds so much to the game for me. It's so much fun to read this, choose different branches and see where they go. And it all makes a lot of thematic sense. Like one of them, you're talking to, or you hear about a a sister or someone has a sister and you have to go, she's wondering like, oh yeah, I don't know what she is. Can you help me find her? And this whole, I won't get into any spoilers here, but there's questions about, you know, Sims in there. I'll just leave it at that, you know. And so you don't really know which way this is going. And there's different branches that affect the story. And your choices do matter because you jump to different cards. And it just makes a lot of thematic sense. It's a lot of fun. And granted, I've seen that card a few times in the game. But as long as you're not playing this game, like, I don't know, every week, if you like play it like every other month or something, I think it would be fresh enough in your mind where you won't get bored of that too bad. And it's just a lot of fun. There's so many branches to go on, so many adventures to do.
0: I'm a huge fan of that. Yes, that's actually my number one as well. It is a pro, and it is the encounter cards. So... I would agree with you. Uh, I will say that it depends on your memory, like how (laughs) you have a better memory, I think, than me. So I don't know that I'm not a card counter and I don't memorize things, but I would agree that if you play this game excessively, and I mean, you know, every other day, or, you know, again, depends on your group and things, weekly, you know, it kind of depends. You could see some of the same cards. When you consider that there's roughly 280-something cards, right, and they all branch certain ones you trash, certain ones you pull out. You have your five scenarios. The the encounter is so fun too because you, you just when you read that text so like, you know, I think I'm going to I'm going to have an encounter. So you're at a settlement, we draw the settlement card and read some flavor text to you and you get to choose what would you like to do? And there's always two choices and usually three, and it's just so cool like, you know, you kind of role play like, oh, this is my dude. I'm in power armor like um, you know, yeah, or no, screw them, people. I'm going to, like, steal this thing. And, you know, you and you don't know what's going to happen because the other players at the table, right, somebody's going to draw that card and read it to you. And so you kind of have what can happen there, and then they'll go back on the bottom. Sometimes you'll have cards that you encounter, and they'll go into another deck, and so you'll shuffle it in there, and so it's like a briefcase, right? And so you're looking for this briefcase, and you'll encounter it later, and then you found it and, and different things. So it's just... I was, trying to, I was thinking about this as I put my notes together. I don't know that there's another game that does this. I can't think of any. Steve, I don't know. Can you think of any game that's kind of using a story card deck like in this fashion? Yeah, off the top of my head, I'm sure I'm missing a game out there, possibly. But I nothing
1: comes to my mind that does this exact same thing. I mean, we mentioned earlier in the uh, podcast how I was playing Legacy Dragonhold. And that you've got this giant book and you're jumping between sections. But it's really different because this is a deck of cards and you can do different things with them like one one example that really stands out to me is okay i did this part of the mission and now my next goal is to locate this rare part i need this part to repair this machine or whatever it is just make something up and so what you do is on the card it says okay go fetch card 97 cool okay 97 and then you'll shuffle it into the top five cards of the wilderness deck and So now you know that somewhere in the wilderness as you go explore those wilderness places you'll eventually come across that rare part and so you really can't do that in this other games without having this deck of cards and just works so well it really brings the world to life and like someone like me who's never played fallout i have a ton of fun with this even though i don't really know the theme don't get some of the references per se but it just draws me into the game
0: That's super cool, and it's a choice you can make, right? So I want to have an encounter in the Wasteland or Settlement, and and then you have like always a couple cards out that you're working on, and and then they they vary. So hey, if we do this, our faction advances, but this. Or if we do this, the enemy faction, but we get like 2 XP and different things. So there's kind of this dynamic of what's available, right? Always out on the table that everyone's working on, but you also have the wasteland and the, um, and the settlement decks that are other decks that you can encounter and just randomly draw the top card. So I love it. So for me, it's my number one pro is the encounter cards are just super cool. They make the game a lot of fun. You can
1: do some really fun stuff. Like I remember the rewards you get vary. One of them was like detonating a nuke or something like that against the other faction. And it moved your winning faction marker down a ton just by doing that, which is automatically appropriate because that's like end game scenario right so
0: it was really really cool that was cool now if i had to be devil's advocate uh, probably the only thing i could see is a little bit of card organization yes so, i mean when you're done playing you're going to have cards 92 86 23 292 they're just laying all over the table and you're going to have to reorganize that deck the other thing is it's fat it's a huge deck of cards and so you know maybe having a card holder or something at the table to be able to kind of handle, um, you know, maintain those. And then, you know, there's a little bit of fetching them, right? So as you finish an encounter, it's going to say stage 92 and and card 86. You're going to have to go fetch those cards. And so if I was devil's advocate, I would say that that for some people could be a con. I don't mind it. I just kind of, it comes with the game. So I'm okay with it, but I thought I'd mention it for the listeners. It's also worth
1: mentioning too, I think that There's not always just one card with a number on it. For example, I might say go fetch card 208, and there might be like three or four 208 cards. And this is very similar to Seventh Continent. I think this game also does that, which is go find a a card or location that could be multiple of them. So there's, even if you take the same branch or do the same stuff, the outcomes might vary. Good, so that's gonna wrap up our five points. Let's jump into our final thoughts. I haven't played the Fallout video game at all. Not not even a second. So, not I play video games every once in a while. I don't really play them anymore. Just due to all the content creation and having kids gets in the way of things. So, when I get older, maybe I'll get back into some video games then. So, yeah. I haven't played Fallout at all. I didn't care that much for the semi-co-op. It was okay. It was fine. Just didn't really, I don't know. Didn't feel the place. I agree completely. Once you got the co-op, this one's like, Okay. This is really fun. I'm enjoying this game a lot now. The adventure, like I said, that's, that deck of cards adds a ton to the game. I think that if you want a tight game where it's very tense and you're trying to as you trying to go against something or some evil force out there, this may not be for you due to what I mentioned earlier, the difficulty of it. It kind of varies a, a bit. But if you're looking for an adventure game, this one's a really great choice. The theme that comes through on the flavor text of the cards really adds a ton to the game. The dice rolling, there's a lot of dice, a good amount of dice rolling for sure. Don't get me wrong. So if you don't like dice chucking, you might want to avoid this one too because you would be re- re-rolling those three dice a lot. But I mean, I don't feel like it's any more than any other game out there uh, of this type of nature. It's fun to get no, new loot. Uh, I wish, like I said before, you can level up, get some more unique stuff. So if you want to have like a... If you're trying to build a character with really cool abilities and powers at the end, you may not necessarily get there. Um, you can kind of get through through equipment, but it's, it's a little bit harder in this game, I would say, to do that. So, yeah, I'm not generally a big fan of post apocalyptic stuff, but I do like adventure games, and this one, this one I enjoyed quite a bit. So, if you played the semi co op and didn't like it, I would try, don't buy, but I would definitely try the co op version of this and see if that changed your mind because. Yeah, I will definitely play this game anytime Elijah mentions it.
0: So my closing comments would be that I really enjoy this game. I recommended it uh, and provided some feedback in our Slack channel to one of our listeners. The scenarios feel varied. The expansion, in my mind, completed the game and sort of really made it what it should have been. I love adventuring for our listeners who know me. (laughs) I like role playing. I like I like adventuring. I like that sense of achievement and exploration. I'm not a very big puzzle gamer, and Fallout nails it for me. So I'm also a fan of zombies and sort of. I mean, I run the whole gambit. I love superheroes. I love all of that. I love everything. So to me, this is just sort of that post apocalyptic adventure. It fills it fills that niche really well for me on my shelf. Um, It doesn't overstay its welcome. Of course, it's Fantasy Flight components, which are great. You know, you have the encounter deck, you have the leveling up, the monsters, the AI is real simple, it's just a lot of fun. So for me, I love it. I really enjoy the game. It's not something I would break out probably at Christmas with family, but we all know that there's certain games for that. Um, It's also not something I'd probably break out like every week just with so many other choices that we have as gamers. But for me, it's when I'm feeling like that adventuring and I wanna roam around the world and I wanna have fun with flavor text, I'm gonna think real hard about pulling this game out because it totally does that in spades. And so for me, I would recommend this game. If first of all, if you're a fan of Fallout in any way, you should play this game and probably buy it if you if you have any time to get this to your table. If you like adventuring, you know, you might want to take a look at it. If you don't like post-apocalyptic and sort of not a fan of like radiation and all of that stuff, I probably wouldn't, you, you know, you might um, stay away from it maybe. But I would I would recommend all of our listeners to at least play it if you could at your local game store. Um, or if you have a friend, I think you owe it to yourself. Definitely play with the co-op though for sure. Um, and uh, I don't know, I love it. So I will never be trading it or selling it. So, And I, I hope that Fantasy Flight continues to release some more um, expansions with different characters and tiles and sort of um, keep expanding that encounter deck would be great. I
1: had a quick note at the end of this. You may want to avoid this game too if you don't like drug references or anything like that. It's not strong in the game but it does come up uh, somewhat frequently because one of the states you can be is addicted. In fact, one of my characters played last, I wound up using um, some adrenaline to give me some extra action points and I wound up getting addicted to it so I had to keep buying a, a new supply of adrenaline to keep my uh, character going. So it was honestly pretty funny in the game. I was laughing. Uh, but if you're sensitive to that type of stuff, I would probably avoid it in that sense. I also mentioned that you can also make good and bad decisions like from a moral standpoint, but I don't feel like that's those decisions are anything that was very strong or, or something you need to worry about in the game. Because other games like this War of Mine, for example... Some of those moral decisions you make in that game can be pretty intense. But there's none of that in this game. So you don't have to worry about that standpoint. So I just want to mention that the moral decisions are fine. And the drug references, you just be aware that that's in the game. So if you're sensitive, you might want to avoid it.
0: Yeah, and I should add they're kind of fictional drug references like uh, Psycho or different things. They're not like cocaine or whatever. But, uh, um, good point, yes. That's but, you a, know, yes. Thank you. But yeah, if you're sensitive to that chemical sort of thing. Um, and you don't have to. I mean, you could adventure on the wasteland and decide not to be a drug addict like Steve was, I guess. <laughs> <laughs> I stayed very far from chemicals. Um, but anyway.
1: That's going to end our episode this week. Hope you enjoyed it. If you have any news or upcoming games you'd like us to discuss, let us know. We'll do our best to share with the listeners. Feel free to join us on our Slack channel. I'll have a link in the description of this podcast below to, j- to join. And we have a lot of fun discussions on there, including a recent discussion on metal music. So we apparently have a lot of metal music fans in our Slack. So it's kind of fun to listen to. (laughs) Nice. (laughs) Join us next week when Mike and Peter cover another game and do a design discussion about it. And we'll see you at the next stop.
0: Thanks for listening to another episode of the One Stop Co-op Shop Podcast. Please check out our YouTube channel at One Stop Co-op Shop, where you can get great game playthroughs and 5 and 5 reviews. If you want to have a conversation with us, the best place to reach out to all of us is on the Slack channel. Links are in the show notes. You can also talk to us on Twitter at MVP Board Games or email us at Games at gmail.com. Thanks for joining us again, and we'll see you next week with another Top 5 list.
1: So, Elijah, what's been new with you? <laughs> Is that bad? That was awkward.
0: It wasn't awkward. I wasn't prepared, maybe? I don't know. Um... <laughs> Blooper. <laughs>
1: yeah, I'll just jump into stuff. Before we jump in, before yeah, I'm trying to get the
0: transition. You're like, I'm gonna, oh here I go, here I go, and there's like silence for like 20 minutes. <laughs> <laughs> I'm over here going, are you okay? Is he dead? Turn yeah, I don't on the webcam. Off. Are you okay? Did you fall over? Like, oh man. Um, I can, I can, I can lead it off. Oh, well, I haven't. Okay. Go ahead. Unless you're ready, go ahead. I can, Yeah, go ahead. Yeah, yeah, I get an idea. All right, so, all right yeah. got it. Okay. <laughs>